0: Welcome, one and all, to episode 245 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the Jewish Singers episode of the SLS cast. Because it turns out that back in uh, roughly 538 BC, uh, there was, following the rise of Cyrus the Great and the Persian Empire, there were Jewish singers who were returned from captivity in Babylon. Their number? 245. And with that wonderful little bit of ancient historical knowledge of Jewish singers being released from captivity in Babylon circa 538 BC, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee. Tim!
1: Not one of those Jewish folk released from Babylon circa. 1983. No, no, you didn't say
0: 1983. That was 1753538 BC.
1: 530A? 53A? 5, a? Like they were Five released from a hotel three room number? 538. 538. No, no. Five no. no. yeah, exactly. Babylon. Yes. Babylon. Babylon sounds like an interesting place to visit. H- have you vacationed there before? Um I there's one uh that always uh I, not, I, I believe it's I've a chain of, heard of the of,
0: hanging gardens are lovely.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I know off of uh two forty nine or two ninety there in uh in, in uh there in Houston there used to be a strip club called uh Babylon, Gardens of Babylon. <laughs> nice. Yeah, they wouldn't let me in at when I was like six or seven, unfortunately.
0: Well, yeah, I guess if uh you're into that kind of thing at that age. I suppose it's good for them to not let you in.
1: Were you not into, like, boobs when you were seven or six?
0: I I had this great fascination with boobs as a baby because that's where the food came from, so I'm told. And then I went through a period from, you know, toddlerhood till around 11 or so. And, nope, didn't, you know, the boobs didn't do that much for me then of course we hit uh, 11 12ish whatever and then boobs became all encompassing <laughs> and it's been a very pleasant you know 29 years so far with the boobs being all encompassing so
1: well you we, know we, I, I guess anyway you know you needed something to look forward to <laughs> in, in a way you know i still remember breastfeeding
0: Goodness gracious. The only thing I, I really have that's ready on the topic of boobage is that the word boob is the ultimate representation of boobs. Because when you have capital B, little O, little O, uh, you know, lowercase b, we've got a top-down view, a
1: frontal view, and a side view. So good call, inventor of the word boob. Can you picture like some philosopher or or scholar from back in the day. What shall we call these (laughs) lovely Lady Sacks? How about boobs, (laughs) Ralphio? Boobs, Leonida. That sounds fantastic. So that that knowledge about the the spelling of boobs and it being a great representation of boobs, um, is that like common knowledge? Is that something that you keep in the back of your pocket until somebody brings up a random... Or the random topic of boobs? I do try to
0: maintain my self-proclaimed crown of the king of useless information. Yeah. I find that that's pretty useless. So, you know, I I have these tidbits stored here and there. And when they are appropriate to drop, they're appropriate to drop.
1: Okay, so if I name a random body part... No, I'm not going to, like, throw you Mm -hmm. a curveball or anything, but... A well-known body part. Would you have a tidbit to throw out there regarding that body part?
0: Well, I'd like to think so, but I unless you unless you tell me, I I won't be able to reply.
1: Femur. <laughs> femur. You have anything for femur? Uh, I,
0: I, you know what? I don't have any. I was kind of hoping you'd throw elbow out there, but uh, well, we but,
1: all know that's a weenus. <laughs> Is that what you're going to... I mean, that's all I know about the elbow. No, no. It, the, it the, is a weenus. The
0: elbow, is, you know, is it's impossible for you to stick your tongue out and touch your elbow.
1: Okay, well... I'm just going to share that with you. Bro. Anybody who is ever five years old or six years old would have known that, that, is, Again, that you can't do that. useless information. True. Useless mm-hmm. information. Okay. Okay, well, I'm going to throw one more out there. How about,
0: how about that the femur is the basis of the leg bones that is from the bones the dem bones song
1: maybe we should stick to the topic of movies <laughs> before <laughs> before Sounds i start good. throwing I mean, out I, and don't worry music. i i have
0: a i have a uh, a, a bucket of beer here so my proclamations may continue to become more outlandish as we go, so we could find something else that I might know something weird
1: about. Well, okay, so yesterday I went to so, okay, so one of the the great uh, movie theaters I go to is called the Arrow Theater, run by the American Cinematheque. They do stuff at the Egyptian Theater also, but they're doing they're celebrating seventy millimeter films. So I went to a seventy millimeter double feature, which included. The Last Action Hero, starring the great Arnold Schwarzenegger from 1993, and then following The Last Action Hero is a little movie that I have never seen until last night, and it's called Streets of Fire. A little Walter Hill movie that came out in 1984, and I wanted to ask you about that, Matt. Have you ever seen Streets of Fire? No. It's one of William Defoe's first movies, and he has some of the best hair. I have ever seen in a movie. Period. Look up William Dafoe, Streets of Fire, and his character as Raven Shattuck, and it's fantastic. His hair made me laugh every time he was on screen, as well as the white makeup he wore—the powdered white makeup.
0: Wow, that is uh,
1: very William Dafoe. To know.
0: I thought you were going to. I thought you were going to say that this was the movie where he showed off his like twenty-seven-inch personality or whatever.
1: Is it really so, twenty seven inches?
0: Um, apparently, it is like ridiculously
1: large. Really, is it large, or is it just? Yeah, like they've had to like ridiculously long.
0: They, <laughs> I I don't know. I've I've not personally seen it up close nor fully erect, so I wouldn't be able to tell you. Uh, but H- have you seen it? The, he's had to personally have to have like, close. He's had to, not I'm getting erect? there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Oh. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> so apparently he's had to have like a lot of costumes and stuff altered over the years due to the size of his personality. Yeah. And there is a gif going around of him from like the mid seventies or something where he is, he is standing, he's naked standing next to a naked chick and he's kind of dancing and his Flaccid personality, right? Uh, is definitely dangling, quite literally enough that even as a dude, I'm like, "Wow, I'll bet you the chicks never look at him the same way twice." Yeah, because so.
1: they have no eyes. <laughs> <laughs> they get poked out. They're that Mr. Micro
0: guy. That's what you get to tell. That's what you get to tell later. Yes, but when you're done, you'll still have your eyes. <laughs>
1: Uh, wow my computer won't allow me to search for that gif but in my mind i'm I'm just picturing a very a high quality sandblaster flailing (laughs) around where a normal person's junk should be flailing around or just puttering around but uh yeah so okay so streets of fire have you you've never seen that before (laughs) <laughs> no no i haven't it, it, it's a very interesting movie and for those of you who haven't seen it it's not a great movie but if you know who walter hill is he did the warriors uh he uh he directed uh, southern comfort which we covered here a month or so ago this is this is also an early movie for diane lane and not only is she super super cute she plays a 1980s pop singer She's not just a 1980s pop singer or plays that part. She's actually like performing in the most stereotypical 80s pop singer concertist venues y- you could think of. And on top of it, this movie is also ha- has also like a very distinct 1950s look and feel to it. It's just a very interesting and, uh, well, at least aesthetically interesting movie to watch. And I would question the shit out of somebody who says, oh, yeah, I've seen this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've never heard of anybody talk about this movie until I looked into it whenever I found out that this was going to be the follow-up to The Last Action Hero. And I've seen so many movies, and I still haven't seen this one. Visually, very interesting to watch. So check it out whenever you have time. Streets of Fire there's no William okay. Defoe penis in their mat
0: good to know you're not going to be seeing well, Ravens Shadow just don't get to right. see it yeah I mean it's not like it's not like they detach it if the scene doesn't require him to use it it's there you just don't see it yeah. like that really ridiculous Shakira song from the early 2000s underneath your clothes or underneath my clothes right because the only things anybody was interested in underneath her clothes were boobs and there we are again. Big B, little O's, little B, Boop. Anyway, all right. So, (laughs) would you like to check the old mail
1: sack? (laughs) Is it a uh, Defoe-sized mail sack, or you know, back to Defoe's junk real quick? Because I'm generally, I'm I'm not. I mean, I have a morbid (laughs) curiosity. So, if it's that, if it's that, because that's something we don't
0: want to let go of.
1: Well, but but it's just like now, do, do the do the do the like. Does the ball sack have to, like, overcompensate for how large the thing is? Like, I just don't understand the logistics of that. Like, I don't. I couldn't imagine being in that situation where it's like, well, I have this really long rod, but I have these tiny balls. It's like the equivalent of wearing one of those Marx Brothers fake nose things that's attached to the glasses, where you have the big nose, but then you have the tiny glasses on top. Um,
0: you know, I, I guess, uh... I I guess you could look at it that way. I don't know necessarily why you would. But um, there's, I mean, there you go. My gift to you. Wonder no more. Morbid curiosity satisfied. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) The best part is the link I gave him activates in the Skype chat. So he just has to look at it. (laughs) For For those wondering why I'm just randomly laughing now. <sighs> that was why, and that's, and that's that's how we end this segment and go to... <laughs> and check the mail sack.
1: Uh... <laughs> uh... At least he's having a good time, you know. Like this... he he's he's like he's genuinely genuinely having a good time. <laughs> well.
0: You know, and and now at least you also have the question answered about the facial symmetry aspect of the ball sack.
1: I don't know, I can't see them, so I really can't. Okay. It's one of those weird videos where you find yourself looking at it for a lot longer than, you know, if it was somebody else in a different situation, like, you'd be like, no, but it's like, like, he's just having such a fucking good time. Like, I'm happy for him, and it's, you know, I guess I would too if I had a freaking... And you'll notice that the
0: naked girl standing next to him clearly still has her eyes. So I don't know at what point during the mating session this is, but
1: I don't know. I mean she she's keeping a distance. looks like she time. is keeping a distance. <laughs> she's she does she's
0: maintaining a three foot clearance.
1: So. so don't you just I wish we could make this picture, this gif, the title of our episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what you could do? Really and truly, just copy the link and make the link the actual title of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so they click on the link. They just go to well, Novo dancing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, time for another beer. All right,
1: check the old mail sack. Check that mail sack. Check it good. Check that mail sack like you should. Oh no, we suck again. Okay.
0: All right. So, uh Tim did did you do me my solid? Am I going to finally get to hear? Oh
1: no. We suck again. I think so, Matthew, because it it sounds like we don't have mail this week. Our followers have no. failed us yet again.
0: Yeah, the no no emails, guys. No no emails. But uh we definitely would love to hear from you if you'd like to send us an email. Please do so by sending an email to the show at SLScast.com. We did get some more Twitter followers, so thank you again to all the people who follow us on Twitter. I noticed we actually got a couple of new Podbean specific followers, so that's pretty awesome as well. Thank you very much for following us as well. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, that would be at the SLS Cast. So without further ado, I guess it's time for the news, is it not, sir?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: Here we go folks it's the news yeah. All right and first up from me actually all that is up from me uh-oh dueling imager gifts. Maybe we could just, that's the episode title. Dueling Imager Gifts. Because I'm afraid to click over to Skype right now. (laughs) But we'll do that first. We'll do that first. Let's see. We're going (laughs) to. (laughs) Nice! Apparently, uh, Tim's computer is now. Is now able to let him search for these things.
1: <laughs> Did you open the second one? <laughs>
0: uh, it, it's... It's, it's, it, it's, uh... Oh, my God.
1: If you ever wanted to see Liam Neeson yes. with a pendulum attached to him,
0: yeah, that one's not yeah, as entertaining
1: we... to look at. I... Shit, now i no, go away.
0: But, yeah, but we've seen him now. Yeah. We've seen him now. Alright, well... From variety.com, <laughs> by the way of Rebecca Rubin, former Hollywood assistant posts sexist emails she received from her boss. Um, now, I had, I shared this on Facebook uh, either yesterday or the day before. Uh, this is from August 10th. Um, but, uh, I, I posted this on Facebook, uh, yesterday or the day before. Also sent it out on Twitter on the old social medias and whatnot. And I posted it under the guise of, have you ever, like, realized you're digging a ditch and then backpedaled so hard you fell into the ditch across the street? Because that's what this guy did. <laughs> Ah, updated article is as follows. Rosette Larson wanted to spend March 8th a day without a woman the same way many females across the country plan to do, by demonstrating the value women bring to the modern workplace. Instead, her former boss allegedly responded to her request for an unpaid day off with a misogynistic reply. Larson, a former... Hollywood Assistant spelled out the situation in a Facebook post where she shared screenshots of his emails. According to her post, the movement encouraged women to take the day off work and refrain from spending money to help others realize their impact, while also raising awareness of pay inequality, wage gaps, and sexual harassment. An email from her boss meant only for two of Larson's male co-workers that accidentally got forwarded to the whole team read, quote, Are you effing kidding me? At the end of pilot season, someone should show, sorry, (laughs) someone should sew her vagina shut. I'm never hiring a girl again, end quote. A second email continued, quote, no bonus for anyone that strikes or leaves early in pilot season. No one is striking in show business. We are all against Trump and women are considered diverse in being shoved in as writer and directors. Zach, who is a Jewish male, is being pushed out. Uppity, selfish, C dash dash T Heather uh, Heather went to work. I'm sure anyone at a casting office or agency would be fired. End quote there. Um Yeah, okay, so It says here that at the end of her post she revealed her boss was talent manager Michael Einfeld of Michael Einfeld Management. Upon realizing his mistake, Einfeld apologized to Larson via text message. Quote, I apologize for venting I and I am quoting I apologize for venting like a misogynistic faggot. End quote there he started. I was letting off steam. I didn't mean to hit reply all. I'm an a-hole. If you come back, we can play Nazi death camp. You can beat me and put me in the oven or feed me cabbage and lock me in the shower. I am truly sorry. End all quotes there.
1: Now, I don't think I would have included that last bit. If that's the part part where I
0: said, have you ever backpedaled so hard you fell into the ditch across the street? Because that is literally what he just did.
1: You know, I'm going to apologize for saying for being a, a you know a chauvinistic pig. I'm going to apologize as well as making a Holocaust joke.
0: Well, and that's the thing, is that I think he was trying in a, in a very very misguided way. I'm not I'm not trying to say that it's okay. I'm not being an apologist for him. I just I think I recognize what happened here, and and I'm just calling it as I see it in that regard it seems to me that he was trying to show his genuineness in 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 the fact that he was truly remorseful by taking it to that nth degree he was truly willing to place himself in in the most ridiculous and outlandish victim scenario that he could think of where he would have no power and she would um again not appropriate, not the correct response. The correct response would have been, uh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said those things. And, you know, I will do what I can to work to show you that I truly am sorry about it or something. I don't know.
1: And here's $75,000 to keep your mouth shut.
0: <laughs> More or less. My, 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 my thinking here is, I'm not quite sure how to feel about the whole episode because there are detractors of women in the workplace um and proponents for a more laissez fair salad days right the halcyon days or not like salad days because that's raising arizona that's a movie right. You know? Um, of the way it used to be before women were all over the workplace, which is kind of a stupid analogy because women had to step up into manufacturing in both World War I and World War II. Uh, anytime there's ever been any kind of massive generational or some kind of governmental implemented gap in the workforce for whatever reason, Great Depression, uh, war, famine, what have you women have clearly stepped in and were proven capable of doing the job but just just for the sake of argument you know of of putting my analogy out there the, these people the the proponents of this way of life that used to be the days of yore the detractors of women in the workplace um uh, you know they just think that um Something like this is exactly why women shouldn't be there. Because guys can't be guys when women are around. Now, I think that the sad, the sad truth is, is that we've kind of evolved as a society to the point where it's There, there's a, the tiniest, tiniest kernel of truth. And it's not, but it's not about women. It's about the fear of being offended. People feel somehow that they've gotten it into their head that they just don't have, that they have the right to not be offended. And it's now kind of gone to the nth degree. And whereas, it's very difficult to tell the kind of jokes you'd like to tell because they're um you know bad in bad taste or they're you know about any insert whatever group you want um and they're therefore found offensive there are lots of times when it seems it seems that women are like oh well i was offended and that's what happened well this this whole scenario kind of is can can be construed that way and i think the problem isn't women in the workplace at all i think the problem is people feel all people feel like they really can't be themselves and yes this guy was way in the wrong he was way in the wrong when he apologized <laughs> which interestingly enough, was so, so in the wrong that it showed how wrong he was in the first place and that he wasn't really, that he wasn't really sorry. He was sorry he got caught. But I don't, I, I, I guess I just think that at the end of the day, this whole scenario could have been avoided on both sides by having the ability to have the open and honest dialogue where people aren't afraid of being offended you've got a you've got a woman, Larson here who is very passionate about women in the workplace and the things that and and struggles that are a daily reality for women, but doesn't have a better outlet for that in her workplace other than participating in the uh what was it here we're going to scroll back up and make sure that we uh a day without a woman okay then we have this einfeld guy who is so afraid and threatened clearly threatened by what a woman in the workplace means that he can't even have a civil response and explain to her you know i appreciate and understand what you're going through and you know, as best as i can as a man and yet this is just simply not a viable time for you to do that maybe we could work something out so that we could have some extra time in the office that day to really you know talk about these things or maybe if if we could do something that can help all of the women who participate have a day off say like you know in may after the season's over so that we can you know so they can see that i mean compromises and stuff like that that could have been worked out So that he could then show her that she's valued. She could then have her time to demonstrate the things that are important to her. But we have an office culture that is that has denied all that. And I'm worried that things like this will cause those knee-jerk reactions of well see look there you go see all this this girl can't even handle criticism well the criticism was not warranted in this regard but at the same time you can see how the request the timing of the request regardless of what you know malicious intent or not and clearly there wasn't any um, would have done to this business and ironically they both proved their points both of them proved their points Her leaving would have been destructive to the, to, to his, to, to the management company or whatever, right? Um, (laughs) and yet he could have also shown respect to that value by agreeing to work with her. It's like the answer's right there, people. I don't know. And I've been ranting on this now for like six
1: minutes. So, Tim, well, please jump in. I, I'm not going to say much because it might be a little too political to go too much into full-on conversation about. But I, I think so. Well, fair uh, there's enough. a couple, there's I, a couple I things, I, I I'm sorry. What's that?
0: I said I didn't mean to put you on the spot. And again, Tim does work for Sony. And this has absolutely nothing to do in no way, shape, or form. These opinions are strictly mine. I don't work for Sony. And um, I don't want to have...
1: In everything I'm about to say, I've never experienced. I've always had a very nice relationship with the people that I work with all around. Uh, But then again, I'm also a a white male who came from a a white-collar family. And especially when it comes to the entertainment industry, there are so many deadlines. And there are so many goals you have to meet where so many people are and so many departments are relying on each other to meet that goal and to all work together, that when something like this happens, granted, yeah, it is a day, and I honestly cannot remember when the protest, when it did happen. I know it was a handful of months ago. But it's not really ideal, and especially in the entertainment industry, and depending on what department you're in and who your boss is, it is really not ideal because... I really don't know how much to really expound on this because I hear about this from other people. I've seen it in other workplaces. And again, I mainly have heard about it because it's not really with me. It's just there's there are a lot of people in a lot of departments and a lot of groups and organizations everywhere, not just in the entertainment industry, that they just don't know how to compensate. I think you have a lot of people that are expected to fulfill their role and if they don't fulfill their role even if it's just a day or a couple days for something like a protest for a cause or whatever people consider that like that's more work for me you know and so that's kind of the attitude it's it's just a stupid thing that that shouldn't happen it's regardless of what situation you're in and who you're working for and what you're working on it should never get to the point where you're saying that shit about somebody else. Especially who this guy is also. You should
0: definitely go to Variety.com. Uh, again, this was by way of Rebecca Rubin. Former Hollywood assistant posts sexist email she received from her boss. The article closes with uh, his apology. And uh, it's a very well-written apology. Uh, which leads me to believe that it was not written by him. <clears throat> but... Um, I'm not... And, and I guess I will just close with this. I'm not sure... I'm not sure that this guy should be let off the hook so easily. I don't think he should have to go into a 10-year hiatus a la Mel Gibson or anything.
1: Well, people are going to forget about this. I, I don't know who the hell this guy is. So yeah, I don't exactly. Think no, I,
0: I get it. I get it. Yeah. You know, uh, But at the same time... Um,
1: but that also kind of raises another question, though, right? Like, which is? I can't see him not having his job tomorrow or next week okay i mean tomorrow. it's
0: his company so
1: exactly people are going to be using that. their his services so it's because of, he's not a name and because people really don't give a shit about him i'd be very surprised and i do hope i'm wrong but i just don't see anything really coming out of this unfortunately
0: and that is definitely fair enough all right well that is that is me for my news i'm sorry i kind of hijacked that there I'm no sorry. It,
1: it's cool because really the thing that i wanted to talk about. I think will provide us with some pretty interesting discussion but an update on the William Defoe penis thing I did send it to my significant other <laughs> I emailed it to her and she responded and she responded with E with you know, an E with a bunch of lowercase Ws a capital uh, E with much lowercase Ws sure. and then and then a monkey I think it's a monkey covering its eyes the monkey has his hands over his eyes like yeah he's in no evil yeah 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 but it's it's a little <laughs> cute monkey okay so I will move on to a pair of Hollywood Reporter articles here they both in a way kind of go together not because they're both from the Hollywood Reporter but in some way it's in reference to failed Movie theater-going technology, or movie viewing technology. Uh, the first one here pertains to IMAX screens. IMAX to screen more Hollywood tent poles in 2D, citing clear preference. This here is written by Eaton Vlessing, and it says this, The giant screen exhibitor IMAX says domestic moviegoers prefer 2D versions compared to 3D. The giant screen exhibitor on Wednesday said it will play more digital 2D versions of Hollywood movies domestically, given a, quote, clear preference, end quote, from consumers for 2D in North America, according to IMAX CEO Richard Gelfond IMAX Entertainment CEO Greg Foster confirmed during an analyst call that his company will start playing fewer 3D versions of movies and more 2D versions, Quote, the demand for 2D films is starting to exceed 3D in North America, in quote, says Foster. For example, the domestic release of Blade Runner 2049 will be shown in IMAX theaters only in 2D this fall. Which is kind of a shame, as a side note. This is me, me, Tim, talking. Because if Blade Runner 20, the new Blade Runner is going to be in 3D, that's actually one I'd pay money to go see it in IMAX 3D. Anyways, continuing... And to drive more revenue from its theater network, IMAX will play more movies for only one week on its screens. Quote, we intend to shorten the length of play that we allot many films, which helps keep the content on screen fresh, Gelfon said. Foster added, Hollywood movies that use IMAX cameras during production, like Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, will have longer runs in his theaters. Quote, we have to be very opportunistic about how we schedule, end quote, he told investors. Marvel's Avengers Infinity War parts 1 and 2 from directors Joe Russo and Anthony Russo will use the IMAX ARRI 2D digital camera to capture the entire two-part installment of the global franchise. The movie marks the first time a Hollywood feature film will be shot only using IMAX cameras and its exclusive aspect ratio. In all quotes there. So before I head into this next article, Matt, what do you think about this? Are you are you glad that you might be able to go see IMAX movies that were actually shot in IMAX that may actually look best on an IMAX screen? So they're actually utilizing that technology. So you're paying for something different and more unique.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know. The, the it, it's not the first time that it's been done. It looks. It sounds like it's going to be one of the times it's going to be like done in its entirety or whatever.
1: Well, Dunkirk most of it was shot in IMAX. Most of it was. True.
0: And then of course, Dark Knight uh, you know, you've got several li- different sequences in there. Right. Yeah, but Dunkirk was like IMAX.
1: I think like 90 93% of it or 95% of Dunkirk was in IMAX. I think I paid 15, 16 bucks to go see it. That was well worth it for me.
0: Honestly, And I know that we've been prone to say this over the years. Well, if it's done right, it'll be really cool. I don't think it's a matter of it being done right, per se. I think they're going to have to choose the right projects for it. Because the thing that makes IMAX so awesome is its wide pan. It's the ability to uh, look at a huge scale and make you feel it. A lot of which is lost in various forms and fashions of storytelling via the movies, when you know people are talking or there's just an action scene or something like that. But big, sweeping, grandiose, um, cinematic, you know, scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. So if you get the right kinds of movies that can really just make you feel like you're there, uh, because of the cinematography and because of the fact that it's use, utilizing IMAX cameras for an IMAX screen, um, then yes, I will be looking forward to that. If it's just once again, another excuse to go,
1: no, no, really. IMAX is somehow superior. Then meh. now I'm going to jump over to this other Hollywood reporter article published on August 3rd of this year. Well, I guess it would have been weird if I was going to read you an article or talk about an article that was published August 3rd of last year, is the golden age of 3D officially over? This year is written by Carolyn Glardina and Pamela McClintock, and it says this, As IMAX scales back and box office diminishes, insiders say blame for the retreat of the once- Mighty Format rests with Hollywood. Remember when 3D was Hollywood's savior? In 2010, 21% of total box office revenue in North America, $10.6 billion or $2.2 billion, came from 3D ticket sales. That was the year of 3D hits, Toy Story 3, and Alice in Wonderland. Additionally, much of the revenue James Cameron's groundbreaking Avatar, released in late December 2009, was earned in 2010. Fast forward to 2016, when 3D revenue amounted to $1.6 billion, down 8% from 2015. That's despite the fact that overall box office revenue hit an all-time high of $11.4 billion. The share of 3D revenue was just 14%. The biggest 3D draw of 2016 was John Favreau's The Jungle Book, which earned 43% of its opening weekend gross from 3D screens. While that pales in comparison to Avatar... of revenue came from its 3D 3D showings, it was certainly better than the average 30% to 35% that has become the norm. IMAX Entertainment CEO Greg Foster tells THR that IMAX is not abandoning 3D, but taking a more strategic approach to its use of the format, saying, quote, 3D is no longer the default, In quote, he says, explaining that IMAX releases about 35 motion pictures per year, and of those, his instincts suggest that an estimated 5 to 10 would be 3D releases in the foreseeable future. Quote, we listened to our filmmaking partners... In quote, he adds, saying directors that want to release their movies in 3D will continue to have IMAX's support. And the article does go on there for a bit more. He does say that uh, they will pay more attention to, again, the films that are shot in 3D and when studios actually take the time out to do a th- even 3D conversion correct. Like with Titanic, I saw Titanic in 3D and I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, James Cameron just re- is just about to release Terminator 2 in 3D at movie theaters, and that's supposed to be mind-blowing. And I'm actually, I'm looking forward to checking that out in 3D, because I think it could actually be pretty cool. So I, I think with me, one of the biggest downfalls, or what added to the downfall of 3D, is the unwillingness of a handful of studios to actually take the time to do 3D right. And unfortunately, one of those studios is Disney, and their their 3D conversion for the most part sucks. Guardians of the Galaxy is a pretty cool 3D movie, but freaking Pirates of the Caribbean sucked. Every other Avengers movie is awful 3D. Like there's nothing to it. It it doesn't whenever you go see it, you want to be immersed. And they really don't take the time. I don't know if it's the studio wanting, not wanting to put in the money or take the time to actually do it right. Or if it's the directors obligating to spend their time and money creatively working on some other facet of the project. But it's it doesn't justify spending that extra money for 3D for their movies. I mean, even Disney Pixar movies, depending on which ones you go to, don't really look that great in 3D. And uh, I think that really has something to do with it, because the, some of the biggest box office movies of the past you know, handful of years, those box office intakes can be attested to these superhero movies. You know, there's only so much revenue that 3D Star Wars can bring in and a James Cameron movie can bring in, even though James Cameron hasn't made a movie in almost 10 years in 3D. So, I mean, I, I think that has a lot to do with it. But Matt, what do you what do you think about this? I know you're not the biggest proponent of 3D flicks, in general.
0: No, mainly because they're not made with uh, the majority of them are not made with 3D in mind, and so very and so it just the 3D conversion is literally nothing but money, and that that goes a lot to uh, what you were saying with the bulk of the Avengers movies and stuff like that. However, Pixar is kind of a unique hybrid in that because it's completely CGI everything is literally native 3D okay it's not it's not something that exists in a in in the third dimension that is then filmed using uh, a 2D capture right which is what you have in basic film it exists as rendered in a 3d space and then is captured as such and then presented as such so the problem with pixar is it's actually a victim of its own success in that anytime you go and watch something in 3d that's pixar it it's it's literally the febreze it's the original version of febreze for movies um Febreze, if you'll, anytime you go to, to to the store and you buy your Febreze, if that's what you like to do, you'll notice that it comes in all of these wonderful little scents, you know, get your flower scent and your garden scent and your mountain spring scent. Well, when they first marketed, test marketed Febreze, it almost failed because people get used to their smell. I mean, it's kind of a sad, you know disgusting fact of life but that's why the vast majority of the time people who stink don't know that they stink um so febreze literally neutralizes the odor so they would spray it around and then it didn't smell any different to them and so that's why they added scent to it pixar kind of does the same thing it literally just kind of feels like you're watching a movie in a native space because it's, oh, well, okay, this is three dimensional. I get it. I can see it. Um, I, I noticed this when they did the 3D re releases of the Toy Story movies back before Toy Story 3 came out and took the kids to go and, uh, see, see Toy Story and Toy Story 2. Oh, yeah, when they did the double feature. And, yeah, when yeah. they did the double feature and they put it in 3D and everything. So I went, I was like, wow. And I remember thinking, I was like, wow, it's so cool because it literally, it literally felt natural. But at the same time, not that impressive because it just felt natural. So I can see, and, and all of this is to say, again, very long way down. Jesus Christ, I'm batting a thousand a night. No more beer for shows after this one. (laughs) Only liquor. That's right. Straight liquor. No, but seriously, um, it, it just goes to show that it 3D turned into a money grab. It was a, it was a 30% increase, right? Average cost of the movie ticket back then was about nine bucks. And then you were paying 12. Now, of course, the average cost of a ticket is like $11. And they're planning on you buying a 3D ticket to begin with. So I, I'm, I, I don't, yeah, I don't give a flying fuck. And all I got to say is while, while he's never been wrong before, there's a first time for everything. And Cameron had better get these fucking avatar sequels right. Because there is a lot. Because when, because if he inevitably, if inevitably, he is proven correct as he has been before. So we'll. I'll even give him benefit of the doubt. If inevitably he is proven correct as he has been before, then oh, the Renaissance of 3D is upon us, and let's do everything in 3D. Um, we could have that again, but no, I do not lament the loss of 3D at this point. I just think if you're going to do 3D. Again, just like with IMAX, pick the right projects and film it in 3D.
1: Yeah, agreed. It's just, I've I've been impressed by 3D, and I can still be impressed with 3D if it's the right movie. Part of the reason why I actually gave Rogue One a positive rating was because the 3D used for that end battle scene was fantastic. I rewatched Rogue One Whenever it came out on Netflix, uh, streaming a few months ago, a month or so ago, it took me four nights to watch that movie. I I don't, I just, I'm not a big fan of it. The 3D, if anything, helped that movie, you know. And then uh, Force Awakens was great in 3D. When I saw Ghost in the Shell in 3D, that was fantastic. So there's definitely movies out there that could benefit as an experience from 3D. I don't want to see it completely go away, but if they pick and choose which movies to release in 3D and movies that are actually made with 3D technology, 3D cameras and whatnot, then I think studios will find themselves putting out product that people will actually want to pay to go see because the market's not saturated with a new 3D blockbuster coming out every freaking weekend.
0: Agreed, agreed alright man well then that is cool so that is going to bring us to the end of the news next week um, barring anything substantial happening we won't really have a new segment we are going to actually do what we promised we remembered Kitty we're going to have a did it age well for The Big Chill that's right we talked about it we're getting it done and without further ado I believe it's time for the movies is it not sir?
1: yes it is
0: then here we go folks it's the movie we, we yeah. And this week's movies are... Um, let me see here, we're gonna do this in alphabetical order. Annabelle Creation and Atomic Blonde. Where do you want to start, sir?
1: How about Atomic Blonde?
0: Alright, so Atomic Blonde, a 2017 American action spy thriller film. It's directed by David Leitch. Um, it's his first solo directional credit. And uh let's see, this is ba- it's written by or the screenplay, I'm sorry, is by Kurt Johnstad. It's based on a uh, on a graphic novel called The Coldest City by Anthony Johnston and Sam Hart. Uh the uh Movie stars Charlize Theron and James McAvoy it features um, other major uh, other people in there, people like Bill Skarsgård and Sam Hargrave, uh, John Goodman, who seems to be appearing everywhere lately. I chose this life, and someday it's going to get me killed, but not today. Lorraine Broughton expert in intelligence collection and hand-to-hand combat agent Gascoin was killed last night did you know him enough to say hello he had an atomic bomb of information find out who's hunting our operatives and trust no one David Persons your content
1: welcome to Berlin I'm David don't shoot I've, I've got your shoe it was me from the moment my feet touched the ground.
0: Never part of the plan. It
1: was part of mine.
0: I've lost the target.
1: What do you know about this woman who's been following me? You look like you need saving. So you made contact with the French operative. Obviously.
0: The clock is ticking, and everyone you get close to ends up dead. Pizza, pizza, pizza. God, I think I love you. That's too bad. Basically, this is a Cold War era flick right before... It's 1989, just before the collapse of the Berlin Wall.
1: Like days.
0: <laughs> yeah, literally days before the Berlin Wall is going... Which... Okay, that's fine. It's fine. It's not... It's not uh, this isn't a history movie. Um... <laughs> I had I had a kind of a problem with this movie because of that, but anyway, we have the plot of the the, the first Mission Impossible movie. Um, right, this is the first one, yeah, the first Mission Impossible movie, and uh, that is playing out here in Berlin in a much more, I guess, strictly speaking, realistic fashion. But then we have the addition of. Uh, Lorraine Broughton or yeah Broughton who is a top level MI6 field agent she is sent uh, she's she's basically being interrogated due to the results of this uh, operation where someone who had the list of all the field operatives in Berlin was killed and the list was stolen and she was sent to retrieve the list um her contact there in east berlin is uh uh is played by james mcavoy um okay i don't really have a lot to say about this movie this movie has great stylized action um it's got the sex appeal that most dudes are looking for to go with their action And it has a a nonsensical plot that you're just expected to be spoon-fed and accept without question. I enjoyed most of the action. Um, I thought the sex was contrived, especially for uh, Theron at this point in her career. But uh, we are talking about someone who is now tied to the Fast and Furious franchise. So I guess all bets are off. And... um, you know, it was nice to see the mummy again. The, the, the chick from the mummy. She's in this. Just, you know, um, it was, it was nice to see a lot of her. Uh, it was a lot of her. Uh, if you ever wondered what, the, what she looked like without the wraps and the shadow uh, effects removed from the mummy, go see this movie. Um, but honestly, not really that special. Nothing that like made this movie go, wow, what a great movie. Um, but it is a, it is very, it is very well executed, and I think, um, as much as I love picking on Johnny about it, it's a great popcorn flick. I, I didn't really get much from it, but I can certainly respect it for that. 2.75 out of 5. What do you got there, Tim?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty much—I'm kind of right there with you, uh, for for sure. I actually had—God, um, William Defoe. why didn't I exit out of that? God damn it. <laughs> God. I have two browsers opening, open up, and I, I went back to Internet Explorer. Open up that image thing you sent me, and I ended up copying and pasting it, not freaking deleting it an effort. Just, Anyways,
0: I, just just please, please make the title. Oh God, Willem Dafoe, why didn't I close
1: it? <laughs> While watching this movie, it's directed by uh, David Leach, who I think co-directed the first John Wick movie, and this was his. Solo effort after doing John Wick. If you didn't know it beforehand, and now that you know it, what do you think about the movie now? Because he just kind of went from one stylized action flick to another stylized action flick. But now it's a period stylized action flick. But anyways, there's this very interestingly staged and visually interesting to watch fight scene around the I guess, last act of the movie, when she's basically making her way through this... Uh, this building. Uh, like, this, like an apartment building. I don't know. Just this old building. And technically it's done all in one take. Although the movie does do many of those blatant zoom-ins. Like quick, you know, as the camera pans over it's going to quickly zoom into a wall. Or zoom into somebody's back to where we've seen it so much. By now I think it's a little bit gimmicky. And a little too obvious that that is what they are doing. But while I was watching these long takes... I couldn't help but think about John Wick, and what I really liked about John Wick is that when the action happened, when the action was taking place, it goes it, like it knows that you're watching a movie. They know that you're not taking this so seriously, to where it can be your t- not. A, I don't want to say a typical action movie, but it could be like your like your your typical action movie in a way to that it doesn't. It's not trying to be like real life. It's Keanu Reeves kicking butt, shooting people in the face all the fucking time, and the action is just like, boom, 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 and it's all fluid. With this one, I can't tell uh, if it was a creative choice or if it, or if they were trying to make it more realistic or not, but for example, that scene I was talking about, you see a part of it in the trailer, because she's getting the shit beaten out of her, and at the same time she's beating all these other guys, there are so many moments when you're like, shit, why do these fuckers not have a gun? Why aren't they throwing stuff out at her? Why haven't they already tried, like, grabbing, like, a piece of the freaking wall or the piece of the board and try, like, stabbing her freaking eye out? Or why aren't they doing this? Why aren't, like, it just doesn't make that. And then, like, they're sitting there panting. It just felt like they were trying to overcompensate for a, a level of realism. I don't know if if I perceive that in a correct way or if I'm being a little too harsh on it or not but it was difficult for me not to really completely separate this movie from something like John Wick which John Wick is in a way a serious movie because it does you know it takes on a serious subject matter I mean they killed his dog and he's seeking out revenge because you know they killed his dog but the movie does know that it's also an action movie it's having fun and I know this movie feels the same way, too, but it does so stylistically, how it's edited, how the how the story is told, how Charlize Theron carries herself. And, and so I think, therefore, it lends itself to criticism in that way. Probably the most fun character was James McAvoy's character. He was just entertaining, and he just seemed like he was having fun. With Charlize Theron, it's like the Daniel Craig-James Bond thing, where... He can never quite get out of serious mode. Therefore, everything he does, other than in Skyfall. Skyfall is really the only movie that he really does this to a full entertaining extent. You know, like like there's always that, ooh, Vespa. Ooh, I'm haunted by this. Therefore, I can't really let myself go and have fun. It's just with this movie, she's surrounded by intrigue visually and within its setting, you know, the Cold War still there's Russians, its spies and all this stuff. And where the movie does try to take itself seriously, it it really I don't think it really needed to. What I was originally trying to head towards was this article at filmschoolrejects.com entitled The Good and Bad of Long Takes. Uh, the article was published on July 27th of this year written by Bethany Wade and it basically talks about the good and bad of long takes. A lot of it, again, it talks about hiding the cuts, knowing when to cut, and it goes into all these other facets of trying to achieve effective long takes within action scenes. And then one last thing, because this is another thing that popped in my head during that long fight scene that that I kind of got distracted by, is when Matt, you and I went and re- uh, re-reviewed Old Boy, the original Old Boy. I remember you Mm -hmm. you saying that, like, oh, man, that fight scene when he's fighting all those guys in the hallway, when you first watched it in the early 2000s, it's very effective. But now when you go back and watch it, you just realize, because you've seen it a number of times before, that, like, they hide it. Because, really, he should be struggling a lot more when he's fighting 30 guys in a freaking hallway. And then you look over and you see all these other guys (laughs) kind of, like, moving, like, shifting their weight back and forth, right? And they're just kind of distracting you the audience from really kind of noticing it because there's con they want to keep constant movement in the frame is that right is that kind of what you said
0: um similar yeah basically it was something that i loved at the time and and yet um it was actually kiss of the dragon that ruined it for me but it was this ostensibly the same thing right you notice once once you learn to notice that the guys in the background are just kind of waving their arms around and stuff like that then, yeah, you're just kind of – and and it gets easier and easier to see, especially what Boy was – was that
1: 2003 or 2006? Yeah, no, that's – I think it's 2003. I'm pretty sure it's yeah, 2003. Yeah,
0: so I mean 14 – yeah, so 14 years later, sure.
1: So I, I don't think this movie is necessarily trying to hide its faults through the blocking, but you can definitely see it trying to hide – some of those things via the camera movement and camera technique and and the style and the aesthetics of doing, uh, of how they use the camera. I'm going to lean on three. It's an entertaining movie but we've been down this avenue before and I, I need something more than just a very interesting setting. And I do think this movie is pretty overrated because on Twitter, on other review sites and all that stuff, people are just man, circle jerking, this movie, just like a collective circle <laughs> jerk for Atomic Blonde.
0: I was wondering, I mean, because I checked the I checked Rotten Tomatoes myself before I went and saw the movie, and I was like, oh, okay, well, cool. I mean, it's got a high enough rating that at least um, I should be okay going into it. And I'm not trying to say that um, I let Rotten Tomatoes completely inform my opinion, but at least it gives me kind of an idea of what to expect. And I was like you, I was just kind of like, where the fuck is a circle jerk on this movie at? I don't, so, whatever. So three. Alright, well then that leaves us, <laughs> there, fair enough, fair enough. And that, you know, saves the average. The average stays three, so that's good. Alright, so, Annabelle creation. Before we get to this specifically, we're gonna take you back to 2014 when Matt and Tim actually covered
1: Annabelle.
0: <laughs> John, wake up. What it? Next door, I, I heard a scream. Stay here. Go check it out.
1: John? Is everything all right?
0: Oh my god, they're covered in blood! Go back inside. It's not mine. It's not. Go back inside and call the ambulance right now.
1: Go! I like your dog.
0: You survived. You don't come out the other side of something like this weaker. What is there left to be scared of?
1: This is the last of them. How did that get in there? I
0: swear I threw it out. Things must have got mixed up. There, she fits right in.
1: There are things happening that that I can't
0: explain. We should talk to someone.
1: I don't think what you're experiencing is a ghost.
0: Sometimes, demons can attach themselves to objects.
1: Protect
0: your family. Annabelle, 2014 American Supernatural Horror Film. Uh, It's directed by John R. Leonetti and produced by James Wan, who of course directed The Conjuring and in the first installment of Insidious. This particular movie is a prequel slash spinoff of The Conjuring, which basically it references the doll, the Annabelle doll that you see in the conjuring and tells the story of how Annabelle became the possessed doll. Now this movie I thought was pretty inventive and had good scare potential throughout um, and definitely hit high marks for me in terms of really actually thrilling you and making you go, oh, dear God, what's going to happen next? But not in the sarcastic way, but in the, you know, well, what are they going to put this woman through now? I thought that there was definitely a lot of potential to be had in the story itself behind what they were doing. They took a very... Specific time in America, which this movie takes place in 1970, when people were afraid of the occult. Now, they weren't just afraid of the occult overall, but they were also afraid of cults, basically led by people like Charles Manson. Now, you had the Tate murders that were happening, and this movie plays on that, and then also goes into... Even added stuff when we start talking about church versus, you know, demons and the devil and everything, uh, and how these kinds of possessions work and what's really made, at, what's really at stake here. All of these things really do build suspense in a proper way and really kind of like make you go, wow, this kind of gets scary. But then it does two very specific things that really, really hurt this film for me. First of all, in case you haven't figured it out, this is about demon possession. It's a possessed fucking doll. So naturally, you have to have a demon. The problem is, is that they ripped this shit directly from Insidious. Directly from Insidious. And it doesn't matter that they did some different things with it, and a couple of pretty inventive things, I must say. It's just that they pulled it directly from... And I know, again tim reminded me of this that james wan was also involved in the first insidious but even still different franchise you have to you have to remove yourself from that franchise and just follow your own you know follow your own path so that really hurt it because every time that it pops up instead of scaring me uh, because like most supernatural thrillers of this ilk it's pretty predictable Still, still thrilling and scary to some degree, but predictable. Instead of it scaring you, you'll get that initial little, but then you're like, ah, you've seen it before. So it takes, so you, you're not, you're not invested in it. The other thing is the ending. I'm sorry folks, I'm, I don't generally spoil movies, you guys know that about me, but I made a promise to Tim. The move, the ending of the movie, it's really got an amazing build up. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what are they going to do? How are they going to solve this? Because they really boxed it into a really cool corner of somebody's got to die. And so you're like, Oh my gosh, how are they going to figure this out? How are they going to get around it? Is there a loophole? Because you don't know about the, of any possible loopholes. And then you, and then basically this lady offs herself. To save the family, and the stupid thing is, is like she had tried to commit suicide earlier. They, they talk about a time when she tried to commit suicide, and her daughter told her, you know, oh, you're just, you're not supposed to die, whatever. And so she's all gets up at the end of the fucking movie, this lady, and she's all like, I figured out why I wasn't supposed to kill myself. It's because I was supposed to kill myself, and then she kills herself. I don't. What? I mean, I was, I could not fucking believe what i was like what a fucking lame ass ending i was yeah so it really took it out it really took that out for me so aside from the blatant insidious ripoff and the end of the film thought the movie was good i I did i really thought the movie was good um but yeah so just shy of really liking it 3.75 and i know tim you didn't enjoy
1: it as much as i did so Tell us why, <laughs> so Annabelle, there is a lot to like about this movie, and it gives you a lot to think about, and that's a good thing, but you're not really supposed to be doing that with with the whor- with I think what they were trying to achieve with this movie like they were they're were trying to go the whole exorcist route where there's more of a story. Uh But whenever you do get to the horror scary parts, it's more of like terror and terrifying. And it works with Insidious because Insidious is more of like a fantasy horror movie. And so it had a fantasy quality to it with the whole dream and the darkness thingamabob. It worked for that movie. Annabelle, not so much. The movie has a good build up. And good tension but all of that gets cut off when they go into a scene that is just like a scene from a couple scenes ago everything always circles around to the lady being alone in her bedroom or the lady being alone in her living room or the lady being alone trying to get her mind off something the lady and the husband being alone and spending the afternoon together Yeah, just stuff like that. It gets a little bit repetitious. Yes, the movie is shot wonderfully. Technically, it's really cool. There's not a bad actor in the movie, which I was kind of surprised because there were a lot of, some of the reviews that I've read about it, people were saying how bad the actor, the guy who plays the husband is. It's like he actually was pretty good. Not bad. Costumes were great. I definitely like the whole uh, cult Part of the story where uh, you know they were trying to go off of like a, a, a historical fear of that time of people being afraid of the Manson murders and all that jazz. So it's just very entertaining, especially in California where this movie is based. You know, a lot of New Age, you know, religious cults were coming about in the early '60s throughout the '70s and whatnot. So it was just very interesting from a historical point of view seeing them incorporate this into a what you would think was just going to be a standard generic horror film, but there's actually a lot of thought that went into the writing in hopes to get across to the audience that some thought was actually put into the movie. But honestly when it comes down to it, you have to judge the horror aspect of the film. And it doesn't deliver. I can think of two scenes in the movie, and I'm not saying moments, but two legitimate scares in the movie that actually worked. One involves her going down into the basement, which, again, falls into the repetitiousness of uh, of uh what Matt was saying with Insidious. And another scenario that happens later on in the movie that involves the doll itself. Those were well executed, but it left you wanting more. And that's where it underperforms. And it's kind of a shame, really, because... This movie was definitely trying to capitalize off The Conjuring. You know, That I mean, if you look at the poster or the previews for the movie, it was billed as The Conjuring's Annabelle. So I guess that could have been a a red flag right there that they were trying to capitalize off The Conjuring to market Annabelle. But, uh, oh well. I was still surprised. I give this movie 2.75 to 3 stars. I really can't make up my mind. I wrote down 3-ish on here. So if you look at the website, it might be 2.75 or it might be 3. That's where I land.
0: All right. And now that you have uh, gotten to hear what we thought of the old Annabelle, uh, that, again, is going to be a 3.75 for myself and a 2.75 for Tim. Um. We will go ahead and jump right into Annabelle creation.
1: It was quiet for all these years.
0: After Samuel and I lost our daughter, no! we prayed to see our girl again. The contact started small, but then she wanted permission to move into the doll. We soon realized it wasn't our daughter. No!
1: So we locked it away. We thought helping the girls could be our penance. This is our new orphanage. Wow. It's as big as a castle. But we ended up giving it just what it
0: wanted. You need
1: help? I
0: can manage. Sister,
1: you always say that even though we can't see God, we can feel his presence. In this house, I feel a different kind of presence. An evil one is coming after me because I'm the weakest. Can you help me? What do you need? Janice found this doll. What doll? The one in the
0: white dress. She mustn't go near that doll.
1: She can walk. Forgive me, sister, for what am I about to Oh, please, it's not, it's not real. It's not real. This doll, it's hurting Janice.
0: Rid of it. All right, so it is a 2017 American Supernatural horror film. It's directed by David F. Sandberg, uh, written by Gary Dauberman. Of course, it is the prequel. They seem to just be going backwards <laughs> to 2014 Annabelle's, and but it is all still The Conjuring franchise. Uh, fourth movie in that. And so basically what we have, it's uh, 1945. We've got a doll maker and his wife. Uh, they lose their daughter and a seemingly benevolent spirit wants to kind of help them reconnect and so it ultimately ends up inhabiting the, the, the this doll that the, this line of dolls actually that are created specifically out of this scenario and what happens oh oh is it is it really a demon no well yes so Uh, we've got a, we've got the demon doll locked in a biblical closet, as it were. (laughs) Uh, demon doll that comes out of the closet. Only in 2017, folks. Um, so we fast forward to, uh, about the late fifties. And we've got a group of orphans who are coming to stay here at the house with them. And they're basically given kind of the run of the place, with the exception, of course, of their daughter's old room. Uh, B is the nickname, but of course, this is Annabelle's old room. Um, there's this one little girl uh, named Janice. She's got polio. She manages to find her way into the room. And then, of course, shenanigans ensue. And we've got the prequel that leads ultimately into Annabelle. All right. I, I, again, we're four movies deep. Although this is, um, mild spoiler alert. This is a, there is a minute setup. Stick around for the credits. There's a minute setup for the nun. Uh, that'll be coming next year. And, um, so, so, so that's kind of fun because now we're getting this offshoot. I, I like the idea of what The Conjuring is doing where they have all of these different avenues of things that they can explore and then if they're successful they can make more movies off of. But, um, and I like that they, um, I don't want to say that, you know, in, Inventing, but they are kind of inventive with how they tie these into a bow, uh, because they definitely make it a point for this movie to, to, to play directly into the Conjuring, uh, or I'm sorry, play directly into Annabelle. They, uh, they don't mess with canon, but they utilize the Conjuring to show, uh, or I'm sorry, Annabelle to show how it fits into the Conjuring moving forward for the Conjuring 2. Um, but, this movie, this movie, the things that I liked about Insidious, the things that I liked about The Conjuring were that there was never truly an over-reliance on jump scares. And, and it seems to me that they're kind of getting away from that. But despite the fact that they're kind of getting away from that, I, I have fun with the fact that this creepy, creepy Raggedy Ann doll, yes, yes, I will say again in real life the doll that annabelle is based on is a fucking raggedy and doll um that they're getting this much traction out of it and i and i do have fun with these movies mainly because i get to see them in the theater and i think and i think that that really is what saves the rating of this movie because it's actually at this point it's kind of fun to see how people are reacting to it i wouldn't really have an occasion to watch this movie here at home uh, with my children of course this is not suitable for them Uh, my wife is deathly afraid of anything horror related so she would never watch it and i just don't care that much one way or the other i like horror movies because i enjoy watching the tropes i enjoy seeing what kind of avenues of suspense and stuff that they can really put into it and this movie um this movie delivers on that aspect of it but only most of the time the rest of it you're just kind of um you you just kind of feel like it it is tropey um but you also kind of feel like that might be an homage to the time period and what they're trying to set up for leading into everything else. So at the end of the day, this one ekes out a three. I liked it, um, but it's really, they're starting to push it. The Hopefully with the nun, they'll kind of go back to what makes them good. Three out of five. Tim, bring us home, sir. I will grab my number two pencil and be ready for the quiz. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, unless the quiz is a, unless the quiz is now and then your review. Are you doing review then quiz? or no, quiz I, then I
1: really, you know, I, I really didn't have, I guess, too much, too many questions, too many, too many quizzes, or I, I didn't really have as much of a quiz to give you. But like, uh, over overall, I enjoyed this movie right off the bat. I'm giving it a three point seven five because
0: wow.
1: Oh you were you were No you were I mean amazed? it's good. I'm sorry. I, I yeah. mean I
0: just I'm surprised. <laughs> well yeah because you you went 2.75, I went 3.75. I went 3 and then bam, you jumped to 3.7. It's like we're this we're all over the place. It's like they they listened to us from last time and then
1: yet now I'm not happy and you are. <laughs> it, it, it's a fun movie. It, it's a fun movie. I enjoyed watching it. It wasn't packed. It was a great theater. I went and saw it an uh, out here, uh, or one of the higher-priced chain of movie theaters out here is called Arclight. It's like 17 bucks for a fucking ticket. But they make sure, like, th- they have somebody in the theater making sure the sound is good, the picture is fine. If there's any issues, they'll take care of it. So the picture quality was fantastic. The theater was pretty big, and the sound was spot on. And there were maybe maybe 20 people in this big theater and everybody was scattered around i was into the movie the entire time well for the most part the entire time i think what really took me out of the film were the obvious missed opportunities without going into too much detail here there are a couple scarecrows which they they build them up a handful of times throughout the movie but nothing really ever comes out of that build up And they do that multiple times. Like, also with Annabelle's parents, the wife uh, in the movie, her name is Miss Mullins. Really, she's only in the movie to provide a backstory when the plot calls for that backstory. When these people really need to know what's going on, remarkably, they trust her and she'll give you that backstory. And before all that, for most of the movie, you're led on to believe that Miss Mullins, the mother, is pulling the strings you know or that she possibly could be pulling the strings i'm not gonna necessarily say if she actually is or not that's at least up until she starts giving out some of the exposition and they really don't pull that off successfully because there's all this build up and it's built up in a way that you think it's gonna have a payoff or they're gonna it's gonna mean something for example a shot from earlier on in the movie one of the one of the uh, the bigger i guess teaser scares this little girl who is, you know, she has polio, she has to go on this rickety old stair chair thing that takes her up the stairs, and it stops at the top, and she's by herself, and the shot's framed where on one side of the screen is her, and behind her is the wall, and, you know, the chair, and you see a little bit of the banister and in the, in the stairwell going down, and then to the right, you see down this dark hallway, and you see something, like, kind of moving in the back. And I just knew, like, oh, my God, she's going to be put in the same situation. But really, you, you, like, you're going to see something crawling down that hallway. But you really don't. They, they kind of do a version of that, but it's, it's not it's not executed all that well. So stuff like that really bothered me. And I really don't want to go into too much more detail about it. Because I do think if you're into R-rated horror flicks... I don't think this one will let you down. Uh again, I'm giving this one 3.75 out of 5. I thoroughly enjoyed it, although there are definitely a number of missed opportunities. And really honestly, Matt, the, the only question I have for you is how long do you think this conjuring verse, this conjuring universe will last before it starts getting old? Because there were one too many callbacks to, you know, it, like it kind of felt like what really annoys me with the Avengers movies when they're like they do this obligatory reference to other Avengers movies or other Avengers movies characters that is just so fucking annoying. With this movie, they started doing <laughs> it, doing that. It got annoying, really. I,
0: I understand what you're saying. But I, I like that you – I think it works and it doesn't work. I think it works in that you were able to pick out the two that were there. I didn't see any more than two. So, I would concur that there were really only two specific callbacks um, but at the same time, it doesn't work because it's irritating because there's no we already know this is literally the second prequel so we we already know what what the, what it's all about. but I think it goes back to the first part of my review. I don't necessarily think it's going to get old as long as they can continue to use like I think Annabelle's played out. I mean, if they if they seriously try and do anything else with Annabelle, it's just going to be stupid. Um, but now we're starting to see specific demons getting pulled out. So the nun, which is from The Conjuring Two, um, is going to be something that they can look at, uh, and hopefully that will work. Uh, they could do, say, they could pull like the origins of the music box that came from also The Conjuring Two. They could look at anything else inside the. Demonology center <laughs> that, uh, that the Warrens have. And, and so I like that aspect of it because it does two things. One, it grounds it in some form or fashion of reality that limits the ability for them to do stupid things like get kind of carried away. Um, like they did with Friday the 13th, like they did with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, to a lesser degree the halloween movies but at the same time constantly find new avenues um, with which to tell new stories so we're gonna get the nun next year that might spawn a sequel or a prequel we don't know Um, i also like that they're not afraid to go in either direction so i think they might have inadvertently stumbled across something that is really really worthwhile but um, only time will tell before it starts getting old. I think that The Nun is gonna be the big test case. Like, if people go and see The Nun, like they've gone to see the Annabelle movies, especially with it being so far back now, because it's gonna be three movies back, um, then, uh, then yeah, I think they'll, they'll keep dipping in the Conjuring well. If it doesn't, well, then I guess, They'll just move on to the next thing.
1: The Conjuring verse. Who would have thought? That's crazy.
0: James Wan. He finds a way to make seven movies out of something, whether you want him to or not. Yeah. He he directed the first Saw movie. Just letting you know. Just for those who don't know, <laughs> he cut his teeth making the first Saw movie. Uh, Anyways, all right. well that brings us to the end of the movies. Next week's movie is going to be Logan Lucky I'm very excited for this movie I've been wanting to see this for a while And without further ado, I believe that brings us to The spiel, does it not, sir?
1: Spiel on! Is there something wrong with the food? No, the food was excellent Perhaps you're not happy with the service? No, no, no complaints It's just that we have to go I'm having rather a heavy period And we have a train to catch Oh, yes, yes, of course, we have a train to catch. And I don't want to start bleeding all over the seats.
0: While well, the music you've been listening to us always has been brought to us by Music Partners rise of Solace. You can check them out at reformation.com and facebook.com, both slash cries of solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS cast, and you can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS cast You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can, of course, come aboard that information, Superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down. On the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Anthony LaPaglia, I get to say this. For the most part, the American film market has become very corporatized, even independent film to a degree. And because of the corporate management mentality, we want to take the safe way.
1: Take care, Cinephiles. We'll talk at you again next week. Perhaps we should be going. Oh, there we are, Monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur.